0: Mercy triumphs over judgment. Do you believe that? That's what James tells us in James chapter 2, which we are actually moving on to tonight, that mercy will always triumph over judgment. I spoke at a conference in California a number of years ago, and I uh, was speaking on the scripture that says only the sick need a doctor. And it's a picture of um, the church being sick with sin, needing Jesus, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer, the great physician, the only one that can help us. And my point to the people that day was that if that's the case, then the church should be functioning as a hospital. But sadly, I'm afraid that it functions more often as a courtroom. Instead of a place where people can come and get healed, it becomes a place where people can come and get judged, and that should not be. And after I was done preaching that day, a young lady came up to me. Her name was Kayla, and I sat down with her, and I said, Kayla, tell me a little bit about your story. Tell me about your life. And, and she said, Rhea, that thing that you said about the church being a hospital, she said, that's what happened to me. And I said, well, tell me. And she rolled up her sleeves and she was a heroin addict. You could see the the track marks going up and down her arms. There were needle marks under her fingernails. And uh, she told me that that heroin had stolen everything from her. It had taken her family, it had taken her home, it had taken her job, it had taken her finances. In fact, she was left homeless on on the streets of California without anything but her addiction. Addiction will do that, won't it? and she was living homeless on the street. And she said, Ria, I tried everything I could to get free. I had gone to every treatment center. I had tried every outpatient clinic. She said, I'd gone from counselor to counselor, uh, rehab to rehab, and she said, nothing ever worked. And she said, as I was living homeless on the streets, uh, somebody just in passing came up to me and told me about Jesus. And she said, I thought to myself, I've tried everything else. I'll just give this Jesus a try. And so she said the following Sunday, she got high as a kite, shot up and was high as a kite, and she went into a local church, and she said she slipped into the back row because she knew what people would think of her. She said she was dirty and and just filthy. She said she didn't have any clean clothing to wear. She didn't have money for clean clothing. She said she was emaciated, and all she had was this addiction. And he said, I knew what people in that church were going to think about me, but but I wanted to find out about this Dr. Jesus. And she said, and so I would go in to this church Sunday after Sunday and I would slip into the back row. She said, I would wait until I knew the preacher had started preaching because I I didn't want to come before the service because I was so afraid of what people would think about me. And she said, so I would slip quietly into the pew and and I would always leave before the service was over because I, I didn't want to be confronted with anybody because I didn't want people to judge me because of the place I was in. And she said, and then one Sunday, Rhea, and she reached uh, to the pew behind us and she grabbed this little old lady and she said, I wanna introduce you to so-and-so. And And she said, Rhea, one Sunday I came in and I slipped into the back pew and she was sitting there waiting for me. And she said, she took me by the hand and she led me to the front row. and, and, And she said, she sat with me week after week and she discipled me and she told me about Dr. Jesus. And she said, Rhea, I'm sitting here clean free from heroin, because somebody loved me enough to take me to Dr. Jesus. And it was a beautiful example of the church functioning like it should, like a hospital, because only the sick need a doctor. And the last time I looked, we were all sin sick. But sadly, sadly, the church functions more as a courtroom, a place where people can come and get judged, instead of a place where people can come... And get healed. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about tonight. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to James chapter 2. Father, I thank you for your word, it's so powerful, it's active in our life, it doesn't ever return voice. And I'm so confident in that tonight, even as I stand up to preach, Lord, that it has nothing to do with me. It's your powerful word going forth. It's seed, and it's good seed. It's incorruptible seed. And I pray right now, Lord, uh, right now, even as I pray, that that you would just soften our hearts, every one of our hearts, Lord God, that you would break up the unplowed ground of our hearts so that the seed of your word can fall on good ground and produce a good harvest in our life. Father, I thank you that you are our resurrected king. I thank you that Jesus overcame hell, death, and the grave. I thank you, Father, that mercy triumphed over judgment in our own life. I thank you that you do not treat us like our sins deserve. I thank you for your grace and your mercy that, uh, that you apprehend us with your love. And that there is absolutely nothing we can ever do to separate us from that love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. And I pray tonight, Lord, as, as we open up your word, that, that you would just shine your light on your word, that you would reveal truth to us like we have never seen before, Lord, that your word would just be implanted in us, that it would take root in our heart, Lord God, and that, it, that the message that goes forth tonight, Father, would not be words of wise and persuasive, uh, uh, It would not be a message of wise and persuasive words, but rather, Lord, it would be a demonstration of your Holy Spirit's power. And that even as your word goes forth from my mouth, it would not be my words, Lord God, that I would say only what the Father tells me to say. Help me to hear that clearly and help me to project it forth with authority, with confidence, and with great boldness, Lord. Your word works. It's powerful. It's truth. And it sets us free. And Lord, I pray that tonight, areas of our heart, Lord, that have been untouched by your word, would would receive the seed of your word And would sprout forth an abundant harvest in our life, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 2, I'm going to read the entire chapter. Can I just tell you if that's all I did tonight, you would be blessed. His word really does not ever return void. It is really good seed. And it really does bring life. It really does work in our life. And I'm praying that that's what happens to us as we hear it tonight. James chapter two, verse one. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention, To the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man you stand there or sit here at my footstool have you not shown partiality among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts listen my beloved brethren has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him but you have dishonored the poor man? Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin, and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble at one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so do, as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But you do not want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and not by works? Faith was made And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted for him righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Oh, anybody besides me want to be called a friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. For those of you that raised your hand and you are new here tonight, welcome. We are so glad to have you. But I will tell you that I am a preacher. I I love to preach the word. I love to preach hard. I'm really not a teacher. I I don't like to teach. It's hard for me to stay behind a podium and just, it's hard. But tonight, I feel like I need to teach. There's so much wonderful stuff in this passage. And so, if you're here for the first time, come back because I'll preach. But um, tonight, just have a little mercy on me as I teach. I want you to notice that James is starting out this chapter by saying, he, this is a letter, it's all one big letter, but we are looking at it as in chapters. But he starts out by saying, my brethren, I want you to realize that he is talking to believers. This entire letter is to believers. You might be tempted when, when you see next week that he talks about our mouth, that maybe he's talking to unbelievers, but that's not true. He's talking to Believers to the family of God. And he says, my brothers, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with partiality. That that phrase, do not hold, uh, it's a warning against this happening. And it's interesting to me, the tense that he uses, it, it doesn't mean he's saying to them, whatever you do, don't do this. What he's saying and what he's about to warn, the tense tells us, that it's already happening. In other words, the people he's writing to, and remember, he's writing uh, to to the people who have been dispersed because of persecution and trouble and trials. But he's about to talk to us about showing partiality, and he's saying this is already happening, and it needs to stop. I don't think we say that in the church anymore. We don't say this really needs to stop. Not in a condemning way, but in a way that I really want what's best for you, and this word works, and if he says this needs to stop, it needs to stop, it's for your good. But see, we don't want to say that anymore because they might not come back. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, I love it, the Lord of glory. Do you love that he is the Lord of glory? That word glory, you might think of Shekinah glory. And really, I want you to know that nowhere in the scripture do we see Shekinah glory. That that really, that word was coined by, by rabbis, it was an expression from a Hebrew word meaning to cause to dwell. And it was a picture, you will remember, the Shekinah glory. It really was that cloud by day and the fire by night. It, it was when we read about his glory filling the temple. It, it's what we read about the transfiguration and, and that glory that we see evidence there. It was, it was a picture of when Moses, if you recall, would go up to the mountain to be with God and he would come down and his face was so bright that he had to veil it because there was so much glory On it, he had experienced the glory of the Lord. And really what that word glory means is it's his divine presence manifested to people. The Bible says that the word tabernacle, that's why the word tabernacle means um, to cause to dwell. And it was a picture of the the, the tabernacle was a place where people could come and, and God's presence filled the place. And that's really good when you realize that he says that I came and tabernacled within you. Do you love that? Can I just tell you, if you're sitting here tonight and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have made him your Lord and Savior, oh baby, he's tabernacled within you. He is dwelling within you. You are the temple, the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. Oh baby, come on. That is good. He's not a far off, distant God. He's a God who lives inside of you. You take him everywhere you go. You and I were created to display his glory. Do you know that? That's why he's saying, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Remember, you represent. Oh, where is Tina? Tina's not here tonight. She just had surgery. But uh, I I would always say when I was preaching, represent, that that we represent God everywhere we go. And and I would say to you, represent. And so she got me a t-shirt that said, represent. Do you know that you and I were created to display his glory? Everywhere we go, we should reflect his glory. People, we should not even have to mention his name. People should be able to look at us and say, what in the world is different about him? What is different about her? I want what they have. Because we were created to display his glory, his image. He says, don't treat... Uh, Don't hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. That word partiality really means, it literally means receiving the face. Uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon, I want to give you the definition. I know sometimes we get bogged down with these definitions, but they're really important. And and I'm going to just read it to you directly out of the Thayer's. It says, that word partiality means the fault of one who when called to... Hold on to give judgment has respect of the outward circumstances of a man and not to their intrinsic merits, and so prefers, as the more worthy, the one who is rich, highborn, or powerful, to another who does not have these qualities. He says, Don't, don't, don't hold the faith of, of our Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. Don't judge with the external appearance. Don't look at a person and make a judgment about them. You're called to love one another, not judge one another. This is a hospital, not a courtroom. And, and he is, James is telling us, whatever you do, wherever you go, and you're holding out the faith. Oh, my goodness, we don't realize this. We're representing, we're saying we're believers. And yet, we're discriminating against people. We're judging people unfairly. We're looking at them on the outward appearance and we're making a judgment about who they really are. When every one of us, I don't care who you are, where you are. I don't care if you're in the slums or in the the suburbs. Every one of us was created in God's image, in his likeness. We have a treasure inside of us. And when you deal with somebody and you make that judgment, you are failing to understand that in them, they are created in the image of God, in his likeness. We need to start calling that treasure forward, church, instead of judging what we see on the outside. Uh, The the Bible says that God doesn't look at things the way we do. He doesn't judge like like we do. Scripture says that, that God knows what's in a man. Can I tell you? He knows what's in a man. Why do we put on these masks? Why do we pretend we're all that in a bag of potato chips? Why do we try to act super spiritual when God knows what's in us anyway? You might be fooling Susie sitting next to you, but you are not fooling God. So let's just work on being real. How about that one? But the Bible says that God doesn't judge by the outward appearance. He judges by the heart. Remember the story of David? Go anoint the king. Go to Jesse, remember how many brothers he had? And he says, do you have somebody else? This is not it here, but they look really good. Look how good they look. They're handsome, they're, ru- they're, they're, they're good. But there's another one. Oh, this is David. He's ruddy, really. And the runt. See, that's where we see that Scripture. Man judges by the outward appearance, but God judges by the heart because he knows what's in a man. Do you know that he knows what's in a man? He said, for if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a man in poor, filthy clothes. Now, that... The gold rings and fine clothing. I I want you to just really pay attention. Stay with me here. Uh, You know, it's a picture of someone being hotsy-totsy, all put together. Uh, You know, really, uh, when he uses that word rich and the gold rings, it's a picture of being adorned. Fine clothing means shiny, magnificent, and it's a picture of being put together, looking good. It's a picture of somebody that walks in and immediately attracts attention because of the way they look now church I, I'm not going to ask you to confess this, but I wonder how many of you are are prone to kind of give that person favor or want to be known by that person or or want to relate to that person or want to hang you want to be their best friend. I wonder how many of us do that. And then James says, but there's also a poor man comes in and, and, and he has filthy clothing. And you will remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about the verse uh, earlier in chapter one that he talks, talks about in verse 21, lay aside all filthiness. And it's the same word as he uses there to talk about a poor man. And, and you'll remember when he said to lay aside all filthiness, he was talking about moral uncleanliness or moral defilement the word poor a poor man comes in it means reduced to beggary begging asking alms destitute of wealth influence position honor lowly afflicted it means destitute of Christian virtues and eternal riches it means helpless and powerless to accomplish an end my my friend Kayla when she was on the streets in the, in the depths of a heroin addiction was poor in filthy clothing, if you know what I mean. She was powerless to help herself. She was destitute of any spiritual background that would, would even uh, lure her to Jesus. She was begging for help, and she was in filthy clothing, and I'm not talking about her dirty rags. I'm talking about her moral uncleanliness. And she needed a doctor and i think and this is just my personal opinion you know that i'm really careful with this i really have trouble just taking a scripture here and a scripture there i really believe that we need to look at context and and so when i was studying this uh, for for many weeks it bothered me because i am looking at him talking about poor people and rich people and showing partiality and then he goes on about works and and commentators say well kind of divides there i don't believe that and so as I studied and I was making the connections with filthy and moral uncleanliness and why would James use that same word in just a few, matter of verse, a few verses? And here's what I think. I think James isn't talking about a rich person and a poor person at all. I think he's talking about somebody who's rich. They think they're rich in faith. They're super spiritual. They're all that in a bag of potato chips. They look really good on Sunday morning. They they are looking good. How you doing? Praise the Lord. Let me quote some scripture to you. Oh, sister, can I pray with you? Let me just pray with you. Let me just tell you about what I studied last night. It was really good. And, And, you know, this is what the Lord spoke to me. Looking really good. In fact, those are the ones you say, you know, could you just serve on our leadership committee? You want to take over the retreat because you got it all together. You got it all going on. And I think when he's talking about poor, he's not talking about social economic status. I think he's talking about poor in the way he used it in, in, in James chapter 1. And somebody who's like my friend Kayla, who comes in in filthy garment, who walks through that door drunk as a skunk. Oh, do you remember? I loved it. Do you remember that uh, we were in the old uh, church, the old the old school? And, and one day, uh, one Monday night, somebody came up, and, and they sat in the front row right here, and they were drunk as a skunk. And I knew it. And I, you know, I, I've been there, and I could smell it. I, I had to actually come over here because I could smell it. And and I didn't want to get distracted by it, but I loved her. I mean, she was as sweet as could be. And and I was preaching. And all of a sudden, in the middle of what I was preaching, remember, she stands up and she says, I want what she has. (laughs) I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And what that woman didn't know, Leslie, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Leslie and I had begun praying. And I said, Lord, if I'm going to teach this Monday night Bible study, kids, can I just tell you, it takes a lot of work to do this. This is not something I just wake up on Monday morning and say, I think I'll teach this. I take so seriously what I teach. I labor over this word for you. I have no idea why this place is not packed out. Because I'm telling you when you put bread out the hungry should come but I'm just telling you church we are not hungry we are not hungry we are feeding ourselves with with so much fast-food Christianity drive-through Christianity give me a shot in the arm and I'll go live however I want to live but Leslie and I had been praying and I said Lord if I'm going to teach and it takes a lot away from my family and if I'm going to teach Lord then I am asking you to not send me the religious. There are a million Bible studies in Milwaukee. Send them to one of them. Don't send me the church, Lord. I really don't want them. Leslie, did I, did I not? I said, send me the alcoholics. And, and Lord, when you send them, send them drunk. Just send them. I don't care if they come drunk, just send them. I said, send me the drug addicts. Send them high as a kite, Lord. I don't even care, but send them. Kylie started coming. Kylie came and and Leah would say, Rhea, I hated it. I was so embarrassed because she would come as high as the kite. This woman came drunk as a skunk and nobody knew that we were praying. We were praying. We were praying, asking God to do that because only the sick need a doctor and this place is a hospital and not a courtroom. I am telling you, this place, as long as I am standing in the pulpit, is a place where somebody can come and say, Ria, I am struggling with this addiction. I am struggling with this sin. I am struggling with this ugly thing in my life, and I'll say, come, let me just tell you about my Jesus. You are so welcome here. Because only the sick need a doctor. And James is saying, you come in to your assembly, to your church, it's interesting, some commentators say that word assembly can also mean a courtroom. I love the word of God he says you you um, you have people coming into your assembly into your church and and you really pay attention and you honor the people who are all that in the bag of potato chips there might not be any depth to them but they are all that in a bag of potato chips and they look really good they say all the right things you know how much effort that takes why can't we just be real And he says, but then somebody poor comes in and, and you just are like, go over there by my footstool. And it's interesting that that word, footstool, that expression uh, by the footstool, it, uh, it's offering somebody a seat by the speaker's footstool, says Craig Bloomberg, involves the metaphor of implying dominance on the speaker's part over that poor person. It's a picture of superiority. Dominance. What does Christ say? I'm going to make my enemy my Footstool, dominance, superiority. That grieves me like nothing I have ever read before. The idea that somebody who's broken, somebody who is filthy with sin, somebody who is powerless to change would come through that door and we would show preferential treatment to somebody that looked like they were all that in a bag of potato chips. Does that grieve anybody besides me? And James is saying this should not be And then he says, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You see, when we attempt to discern people's value based on what they look like on the outside, we usurp God's role as judge. We take that position in our life. I must know more, Lord, just based on the way they look or the way they're acting or the things they're saying. We take the position of judge. We don't have that kind of information to make that judgment, church. He says, you become judges with evil thoughts. It's interesting to me, the word thoughts there. He doesn't say evil motives. He doesn't say evil actions. He say evil thoughts. He says, Thoughts are internal. Nobody really knows our thoughts except if you remember, that anybody remember the story of the woman with the alabaster jar? Jesus is having dinner, and I don't have it in front of me, and I haven't read it, so it's not fresh in my mind. So if I've messed something up, do not send me a letter or call me and say, you messed this up. Judgment without mercy (laughs) will be shown to those who judge without mercy. The woman with the alabaster jar Uh, Jesus is having uh, dinner, I think, at Simon the Pharisee's house. And and, and this woman comes up, and and she has a sinful past, like Simon doesn't. But she has a sinful past. (laughs) And commentators say she has a really sinful past. And she comes to Jesus at Simon's house and and commentators believe that somewhere along the line she had encountered him and he had set her free and she just cannot help herself, that she's going to come even to a Pharisee's house just to be close to him. And the word says that Simon thought in his head if he were a prophet, he would know who this woman is and that she is a sinner and that he would not let her touch him. This is what I love about my Jesus. Jesus said, the, the word says, that I, I can't remember exactly the, the verbiage, but it says that knowing what he was thinking, Jesus answered <laughs> and said, Simon, can I tell you something? Bust it. You just love Jesus. I'm just telling you I love it. Imagine how that made that woman feel. And then Jesus says, you know, Simon, there's this man who, who owed a debt, and it was this much, and, and somebody else, and he couldn't pay it back. And somebody else owed a debt that was this much, and it was much more. But they couldn't pay it back, and neither had the ability to pay it back, Simon. Equal ground, even though one debt looked bigger than the other. That's my life, can I tell you? My debt was astronomical. Diane's was probably... But it didn't change the fact that I don't have the resources to, to pay that debt off, and neither does Diane, and so the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And he said, Simon, you know, who will love the most? And Simon says, the one whose debt was the biggest. And he says, You've judged, uses that word correctly. You made a judgment, Simon, that her sin was bigger than yours. But let me just tell you what. She who's been forgiven much, loves much, Simon, and you, dear one, who think you have nothing to be forgiven for, and you love little, knowing his thoughts. That conversation comes because Jesus knew his thoughts. And, and so James says, you've become a judge, a judge with evil, evil thoughts, And then in verse 5, look at that. He says, listen, my beloved brethren. And I love that he couches it, again, with his gentleness. You're beloved. I'm going to tell you something hard, and it's going to be hard to receive. But, but can I just tell you, you are my brethren. You're my beloved brethren. So listen to me. And that word listen is like, listen up, pay attention. What I'm about to say, you don't want to miss, beloved brethren. Dave and I have seven children, and all of their life, I have tried to be as fair as possible. You can't buy one something without buying the other six, and you can't spend this much on Christmas without spending the same on everybody. So, Dave, am I exaggerating? For years, I would tape like a dollar seventy-five to Christmas boxes because I needed to balance it out. <laughs> because they scream bloody, bloody murder if you show partiality, so. Being a mother of seven, I can tell you the danger of partiality. (laughs) But there is nothing that I hate more than when my seven children are together and they're hard on one of their siblings, or they're not nice to one of their siblings, anybody with me. Or maybe if they all decide they're going to go out and do something and they leave one of them out, uh, anybody besides me, that bothers. I'm a mama, that bothers me. I want to slap them silly when they do that. Not nice. That's what James is saying. Beloved brethren, we are all in the same family. And when you mistreat this person, but you show this one favor, you've just excluded them. You've just made them feel like they don't matter, like they're not important. He said, listen, my beloved brethren, pay attention. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored, the word is humiliated, the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you're called? There's so much there, I could park there for a couple weeks, but let me just give you the cliff notes. He says, you humiliated the poor man. Do you know how hard it is for somebody to admit they have a need? For somebody to admit they're struggling with an issue, maybe an ugly sin that is destroying them inside because it's a secret that they keep, that they think if I tell you, you are going to judge me, you won't like me anymore. If you knew this about me, you would have nothing to do with me, so I'm just going to keep it buried inside of me and let that toxin, that poison destroy me because if I tell you, you might reject me. That's the danger that James is talking about here. I hope, I hope that when we encounter people like that, we have mercy, and we don't offer judgment without mercy, that that you are a safe person for people to be able to tell that, that that it won't show on your face, that you won't be like, I can't believe that. Did you hear about so-and-so? They're struggling with this thing. Church, what are we doing? He said, you've dishonored, you humiliated the poor man. But the rich who oppress you and drag you into courts, the blasphemy, the noble name by which you're called, that, that could preach right there forever, but I'll just, I'll just tell you little bits and pieces. The rich who oppress you, that word oppress is, I looked it up, just the word oppress in the, in the dictionary, and it was, it was really kind of um, profound to me. It means to cause someone to feel stressed, anxious, uncomfortableness have you ever been with somebody that has it all together and they are super spiritual I'll pray for you and the Lord told me this and we don't have any of those troubles at our house we don't struggle with insecurity because we got it all together how do you feel because you do have some issues how do you feel I heard it what about that big Can't tell her anything because, oh my goodness, she doesn't have any issues. That's the danger of a pastor standing in the pulpit and acting like they have it all together. People say, Ria, why do you share your junk? That's why. Because I don't preach about a God who I haven't tried. And seen that it works. I don't preach a word that I haven't tried and see that it doesn't work. You see, I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Can I tell you, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I was in the muck and the mire, and he picked me up, and he put me on solid ground. And I will spend the rest of my life testifying to his goodness. I am not ashamed. The old is gone, and the new has come. And that's what my God can do for you. And if I act like I have it all together, you will not want to approach me with your junk. Can I tell you my junk? Whatever you tell me, I could say, been there, done that. Got the t-shirt. There's nothing. Ask Leslie. There's nothing that surprises me. There's nothing new under the sun. Your rotten sin, the thing that you keep buried and make you feel filled with shame, that sin, I probably... We probably heard it all in a prayer line. I mean, it doesn't even shock me anymore. I'm like, God can deal with that one. Let's pray for you. I mean, that's just what our God does. And James is saying, you know, you have people who make you feel uncomfortable and stress you, and, and, and you can't even be yourself with because they got it all together. And, and he said, and then, you know, you, they, they drag you into courts. And I'm like, Lord, what does that mean? You know what it means? They judge you. They take you to a place of judgment. Oh, they're your best friend when, when you're hanging out but then when they're with Diane do you know what I heard about her we need to pray for her it's gossip in the form of a prayer request but call it what you want they drag you into courts and they blaspheming the noble not what you want they drag you do you know what that really means is we are called to represent and when i act like that and i'm representing It's so confusing to people. We are called to bring him glory. My mama used to say to me, Ria, you are the only Bible that some people are ever going to read, so be very careful how you're living. God has made it clear that there is to be no discrimination uh, among his people. He says, I do not show partiality. I don't have favorites. I always hear people say, I'm his favorite. Well, guess what? He says, I don't have favorites. We are all his favorites. Because he says, I don't show favoritism. I don't show partiality. I don't care if you're rich, you're poor, you have it all together, you don't have it all together. I don't care if you've done the worst possible sin in the whole wide world. It's no different to me than the debt of the one who thinks they have it all together. His arms are wide open. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says that he died for all. That anybody that comes to him, he'll receive. And we are called to model that attitude towards his people. I, I, I just, I know that I'm running late, but I just have so much that I want to tell you. But um, many of you know that Dave and I I uh, would really, really like to, Dave is really involved in this, Leslie and I are involved in this, in, in people who have a sex addiction, a pornography addiction, a love addiction, and spouses of people that have those things, and, and we're, we're really ministering to those, that group of people, and we're seeing God do amazing things amazing things and and we would really like to have i'm praying i'm asking god to bring us a property where we can host these conferences where we can have these weekly meetings where 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 we can move this bible study to. and i'm asking god to bring me a building that free i'm believing he's going to because when he orders something he pays the check but people say well what are you going to call it we're going to call it the 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 sycamore house do you know why we're going to call it the sycamore house because those people, they can't tell the church that they're struggling with that issue. Dave's groups can't even meet in the church. They're too ashamed. They come to our house. They go to another place where Dave is meeting with them. Because they to step into church and say, listen, I'm struggling with a sex addiction. I, I've had numerous affairs. I've been with prostitutes. I, I can't stop looking at pornography. Oh, my goodness. Poor man with filthy clothes who gets discriminated against. And we're going to call it the Sycamore House because the story of Zacchaeus, you know it. This is so good. Zacchaeus, Jesus is in town and all the religious people are are, are crowding around him and little tiny Zacchaeus, a tax collector, poor man with filthy clothes, he wants to see Jesus. He wants to see what the commotion is all about. What's this Jesus really like? And he can't get to Jesus because who's around him? They're religious and so he climbs up into a sycamore tree so he can get a vision of Jesus because the religious are blocking his view and so our goal is to have a place that we can elevate Jesus and people who can't get a view of him because of the garbage that's going on uh, they, they, they he can they can see him clearly now they can get a glimpse of him they didn't have before That's so good. But Jesus, knowing what people said about Zacchaeus, knowing that he was a poor man in filthy clothing, I love what he does. He leaves a religious and he goes over to the sycamore tree and he says, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house tonight. We're going to fellowship. And everybody was like, sinner and tax collector and Jesus hangs with them. Yeah. In fact, he really liked them. James says, Be careful that you're not doing that. And and, and it's interesting that he says, Poor in the eyes of the world, <laughs> rich in faith. Do you know what bothers me so much? Because when you see somebody on fire for the Lord, different. Caleb. The church says they're a little weird. That Rhea really is a strong cup of coffee poor in the world's eyes, rich in faith, rich in faith. When, when James is talking about um, those who have, has he not chosen the poor of this world, he's not talking about poverty there. Because if he was talking about people who were poor economically, then why in the world would anybody get a job? Because if I get a job and I'm no longer poor, I won't be chosen. So we know that's not what he's talking about He's talking about being poor in spirit. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall see God. He'll manifest to them. The God of glory will show himself to them. So then he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That word neighbor, just an FYI, is not the person sitting next to you. It's not your neighbor that lives next to you in your subdivision. That word neighbor encompasses everyone, including your enemies. Those who rub us the wrong way, those who don't look like us or act like us, those who are different than us or require extra grace to deal with. That's your neighbor. And what he's saying is we should love everybody we come in contact with because we're demonstrating the love of Christ. We're demonstrating the love of Christ. There was a scribe that came to Jesus, I don't quote me but I think it's Mark chapter 12 it's somewhere in there. And a scribe comes to Jesus and he's, you know, all that in a bag of potato chips and he said, "Jesus, can you tell me what is the first commandment? What's the best commandment?" And when he says that the word that he uses is protos, it's where we get our word priority. And what he's saying is, Jesus, when it comes to all those hard commandments that are hard to keep, what's the most important one? What's our priority? And Jesus replies, does anybody know? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might. And, he said, and the second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, there is no greater commandment, singular, singular. Than these, plural. Do you know why he's saying that? That doesn't even make sense. Jesus, why? There's no greater commandment, singular, than these, plural. Because what he's saying is if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might, with everything you have, you will love your neighbor as yourself. And if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, if you can't tolerate them, get on your nerves, you really don't like them. I'm going to question whether or not you really love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. I told you Dave and I are working with these groups, and there's one particular group that I told you Dave and I are working with these groups, and there's one particular group that are are wives of men who have sex, like I can't even begin to tell you. They're so broken and so hurt, and it grieves my soul every time we meet with them. But what I'm telling them is because they're like, We gotta get, get divorced. I don't like this guy. I don't you know, you tell me I have to love him, I don't even like him because of what he's done to me. And I'm like, This is so easy to fix. You just love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. With everything you have, you focus on loving him because you will not be able to help yourself. The overflow of that will be, I'll even love this one who's poor and in filthy clothing. I'll help him get his clothing clean. See, it works. It works. He says, this is this is the heart of Christianity, the protos, the priority is to love him, and then you will love others. Going into the next verse, he's, and he t- talks about, you know, uh, y- you, you say, I don't do that, but, you know, at least I don't do that. They are a sinner. <laughs> I know I'm a sinner, but I would never do that. That's showing partiality. And he reminds them that, okay, if you want to keep the law and you want to judge people according to the law, which, by the way, were saved by grace, through faith, and not by works, not by keeping the law. He said, but if you want to do that, let me just tell you, you stumble at any point, you're as guilty as the, the murderer. You're as guilty as the adulterer. So let me just tell you, the ground is, is, is level at the foot of the cross. So let's just give up that, that judging people stuff. And let's just start loving them. And then in verse 12, he says, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. And the tense there, um, both of both of these words, it means be constantly speaking and constantly acting like somebody who is gonna be judged by the law of liberty. Now, I, I want you to know, and Lord, help me with this. I, I, I really, I, I, I struggle, and you know I struggle with this because any time I teach on obedience... Somebody will say to me, teaching works. No, I'm not. Let's, as I say often to you, this is elementary. The Bible says, let's leave the elementary teachings and let's press on to maturity. Let's stop being stuck in elementary teachings. Here's an elementary teaching for you. You are saved by grace through faith, not by works so that no man can boast. There is nothing you could ever do to separate you from the love of God. Let's settle that one in our mind. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't be good enough to go to heaven. You can't give enough money to go to heaven. You can't do enough right to go to heaven. You, precious one, are saved by grace through faith, not by works. Nothing you can do. Are, Are we settled on that? So that no man can boast. So lest you think you can do something good and obey enough that you get to go to heaven, let me nullify that right now. It's a gift of God, okay? So then you say, well, Rhea, why is James about to go on and talk about faith and works? And I finally got it. I finally have a way to explain it to you that's profound to me. Men, I'm sorry, you might not understand this, but women, do we know obstetrics? What do you go to an obstetrician for? Birth, okay, new life. But after you go to an obstetrician, do you take that baby back to the obstetrician? No, you you move on to pediatrics. And then when you start getting old like me, you you move out, Kendall is 17, she's about to move out of pediatrics into the family practice. But when you start getting old, you eventually go to geriatrics. When you mature and become complete, are you with me? So when James is talking about faith and and works, he is not. It is not conflicting with Paul. Can I tell you that when Paul says you're saved by grace and not by works, it, he means it. That's an elementary teaching. It's established. James is now talking to people who have been saved by grace and not by works. Are you with me? So these people. Um, The obstetric that's when new life begins. And that's saved by grace and not by works. Are you following me? But now that you've been born again, born anew, there's been new birth in your life by grace, not by works. Now we're moving on to pediatrics and we're going to grow you up. See, that's the problem with the church. We're staying stuck in pediatrics. We're never getting to pediatrics. He goes on and he talks about Abraham and how Abraham was made perfect by what he did. You say, well, it works. Yeah, it's growing him up. He's headed to geriatrics. He's showing his faith. He's demonstrating his faith. His actions are lining up with what's happened in his life, with what's happened in his life, church. Is that good or what? Does that help you? But I want to go back to the law of liberty now that we've established the law. Notice it's the law of liberty. So when we talk about keeping God's commands, it's the law of liberty, of freedom. Do you know that you and I are created in the image and in the likeness of God? We were created to display his glory, as I said earlier. I want to read you something that John Stott, one of my favorite commentators, said. He said, our true freedom, our true freedom, liberty, depends on discovering how we can give expression to our true nature. How can we live so as to be like him? James answers this crucial question by by his startling expression, the law of liberty. He brings together the two things which people think are opposites, law and liberty. But as we have seen, the law is the nature of God expressed in his commandments. I want to read that to you again. The law is the nature of God expressed in his commandments. And so when we obey his commands, we are living like him. And when we live like him, we are displaying his nature. When we live like him in obedience to his commands, and we'll never be perfect, we won't even come anywhere close. But when we begin to obey like Abraham, we begin, the Bible says Abraham was made perfect. He was grown up, he was mature. Let us leave the elementary teachings and move on to perfection, he says. The law of liberty. Rhea, and I, I tell you this constantly. When we talk about obedience in this place, and we will, and we will. It is not this. It is the law of liberty is God saying I want you to do this and it's for your benefit when I tell you to forgive it's not because I don't think that person did you wrong it's not because you weren't hurt by them it's not because I'm downplaying what you went through I'm telling you to forgive because to forgive is to set the captive free only to find out that the captive has been you all along that it's a law of Liberty when you obey me it really brings freedom brings freedom. It's a law of liberty. Every one of us are going to fail. Every one of us are going to mess up. And that's why he goes on. look Look at what follows. He says, So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Oh, church, you know where I'm going with this. I've been saved by grace through faith not by works, work of grace. I don't have to work to get it. So now I don't have to be afraid of messing up. And when I fail, guess what I'm gonna be met with? Mercy, and mercy will always triumph over judgment. I don't even have to be afraid. God, I did this again, I can't believe I did this again. How do you put up with me? I'm such a loser, God. That is not what I'm talking about here. Mercy, God's mercy, I met with his mercy. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. He is faithful even when we are faithless because he will not ever deny himself. Mercy triumphs over it. You don't don't have to worry about messing up. You're free to just live in the liberty that his word provides. And when you mess up, I messed up, Lord. You're met with mercy and not judgment. So why, why, why would we ever go to somebody and not offer the thing that we have received from God? Why would we ever say, you did me dirty. I'm not talking to you anymore. I am writing you out of my will. Judgment without mercy will be shown to those who judge without mercy. You say, well, Rhea, that's not fair. Okay, I'm talking as fast as I can, but you know the story of the merciful um, king. Mm. Again, I haven't read it so I, in a while, so I might misquote it. Give me a break. Peter, my, my man, Peter goes to Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive seven times? And, you know, seven, that's perfection, Jesus. How many times? And I think he thinks he's pretty, that, all that in a bag of potato chips. Look how spiritual I am, Jesus. I'm willing to forgive this many times. The same offense I think he's talking about. And Jesus said, oh, and, and, and I, I forget the number, but what Jesus is saying is, you just keep forgiving. And Jesus said, oh, and, and, and uh, how do we do that? And Jesus says, Peter, let me tell you a story. There was this king and and, and this servant, and this servant owed him this massive amount of money, and there was no way in the world he could pay it back. And the servant begged him and said, please, king, you know, can you give me time to pay it back? And and the king says, you can't pay this back. I'm just going to cancel your debt. And that same servant then went out, and he found somebody that owed him a teeny, teeny tiny little bit of money, and he choked him, and he threw him in prison, and he said, "You know you're going to stay there till you can pay me back. I want to get the the right word right verbiage here because it is um, I think I put it put that part in my notes, so let me just find it He says, mm, no, I didn't Can somebody just find that script? Sure, oh no, i did he said um, that that the the um the servant." went out and choked the person who owed him a little bit of money. He put him in jail and he said, you're gonna stay there until you can pay me back that debt that you owe me. And and so the other people saw that this servant who had been forgiven this massive amount of debt did this and they went back to the, the king and they said, you know, that servant of yours did this. And the king, the word says, threw him into jail to be tormented by the tormentors. And then Jesus adds to that story. So my father in heaven... Will do to you if you fail to forgive your brother from your heart. Do you know why he says that? Because this servant was owed this massive amount of money he couldn't pay back. And yet, when he, that got canceled, he went and choked somebody that owed him a teensy tiny bit of money. It's a picture of us. Do you know that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God? If God kept a record of wrongs, who in this room could stand? Okay, go ahead. Let me see. You got to be kidding me. And so that's clear, right? Christ paid a debt he did not owe because we had a debt we could not pay. And he didn't just, he didn't just pay it, he canceled it. It is finished. Rhea Briscoe's sin debt, last words on the cross. It is finished. Tetelestai, it is finished. Paid in full. Rhea's sin debt, paid in full. <laughs> canceled. And yet, somebody does me dirty, and I'm like, mm-mm, you owe me, baby. You owe me, and I'm going to torment you. I'm going to treat you mean. I might not even talk to you until I feel like our debt's canceled, settled. Judgment without mercy will be shown to those who judge without mercy. So then he says, "What does it, profit my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, yada, yada, yada. He's talking about faith and works. And what he's saying there is that we need to live out what we believe. What good is it if we just confess it? What good is it if we just talk a good talk? What good is it if we come to church on a Sunday morning wearing a mask and looking super spiritual if our heart has not been touched by what we believe? Notice he says, uh, you know, you see somebody and you, you say, wish you well. And really what that is, is he sees somebody who's poor and in need and doesn't have clothing and doesn't have food, and the, the, the wealthy person says, I wish you well. That's what we do. It's religious jargon for, you know what, I really don't want to get involved with your garbage. I'm really too busy for that. Have coffee with somebody else. Because you're messed up. I got it all together. He says faith without works is dead faith that works I, I want you to see that, that it's not faith plus works that we're talking about here it's not faith or works that we're talking about here we're talking about faith that works in other words if I believe and I have faith I am going to live it out there's going to be evidence of a life that's been in other words, if I believe and I have faith, I am going to live it out. There's going to be evidence of a life that's been saved by grace. I'm going to, it's going to be a changed life and people are going to be able to see it. And then he says, look at this. I want to skip down to verse 19. He, he says, you believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you, know, do you want to know? But you want to know, oh fool, oh foolish man that faith without works is dead. The word there is vain. King James says, vain man. Can I tell you that it's possible to believe in vain? Even the demons in hell believe. They believe there's a God. In fact, they do more than just believe. They tremble. And what James is saying is, you believe, rock on with your bad self. Even the demons in hell believe. And in fact, they do something with their belief. They tremble. What are you doing with your belief? Faith without works is dead. If you believe, people are going to be able to see it in your life. They're going to see evidence of that in your life. Remember, this is James who said you're being deceived. In chapter 1, he said, I'm worried about people who say they believe, but they're deceived. They're not even believing. They're not even Christians. They think they are. They think they are. I heard you, Lord. I'm just going to say it. I think one of the most dangerous things that we've done, and I've done it, Is say now just pray this little prayer of salvation with me. You're saved. Go in heaven. Yay! Fire insurance. But there's never any fruit. We never see a changed life. I'm telling you, a changed life comes with somebody saying, come on, let me just walk with you through this. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me walk with you. Let me tell you some scripture. Let me sit with you. Let me teach you. Let me instruct you. Can I tell you, anybody in my circle, am I lying? Am I, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Lisa, anybody in my circle is gonna hear some word Masha. Do I hold people accountable? Do I say, let me just tell you about the word of God. I do not tinker around. If you, I, you don't have to be near me, but if you are, I promise your life is going to get changed. And I hold myself, I, hold, I have people around me that I say, if you don't see it in my life, you call me into account. Here's what I see that is so ugly, church. This is ugly to me. I see ministries and churches And people, let's go feed the hungry. Let's go, let's go give backpacks to the homeless. Uh, But I really don't like that person I'm working with. My employees, they get on my nerves and I'm just gonna fire them. But let's go feed the homeless. Church. Partiality. We have to start living what we're believing. This is a soul. Every person you encounter is a soul. I will often, Leslie teases me and says, I have a restaurant ministry, but I love it because I'm, I am interacting with people. I get to tip them big. I get, them, I get to read my Bible. And at The table acted like I'm just doing it over my lunch break, and then they ask questions, and I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I walk into a restaurant, and I will say, Lord, show me. These are all souls in here. Show me. Remind me these are all souls, they're not people, they're not broken people, they're not messed up people, they are all souls made in the image of God, and I want to call that treasure forth. A kind word calls that treasure forth. James is saying you can have all the doctrine straight, you can know all about God and say you believe in him, but faith that doesn't result in a changed life. I love Stephen Cole says, faith that does not result in a change. life. From self-centered rebellion to God-centered obedience is no better than the faith of demons. Yeah, it is good. i got to read it one more time. Stephen Cole. Faith that does not result in a change from self-centered rebellion to God-centered obedience is no better than the faith of demons. And then he goes on, and I, I love this. I'll go really quickly because I know it's late. He gives two examples of faith working. Abras poor. He's drawing a picture of what he just talked about. Abraham having it all together, the father of many nations, and Rahab, and notice what he says, Rahab, the prostitute, just in case you forgot, I would just want to remind you, she had filthy clothes on and was poor. He's drawing it for us. He's drawing a picture for us. And he says, Abraham believed. And he obeyed. Can you imagine waiting that long for a son, and then you finally see God fulfill the promise, and then he says, give him to me? Are you kidding me? But you know, Abraham didn't even tarry. He went immediately and did what God told him to do. And the Bible says it was credited to him as righteousness, and it doesn't mean uh, he was justified by it. It doesn't mean that made him just as if he never sinned. It means it showed forth the righteousness in him. His obedience demonstrated his faith. And then it says, and he was called a friend of God. I want so badly for God to be able to say, Rhea, do this, and there's no hesitation on my part. That we have such fellowship, that we have such union, that we have such a a relationship built on love and trust that whatever he says, no matter how difficult it is, that I will jump to do it. Leslie is my best friend. If she calls me and says, Rhea, I need you. Trust me, I will drop whatever I'm doing, jump in my car and drive to her house. But she's my friend. When Jesus says, Rhea, I need you to do this. I hope I have the life that jumps in the car and says, Lord, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. What do you need? But he parallels it. He's got the wealthy Abraham and the filthy harlot. And he's making a point. He said it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your past is. doesn't matter how you got it together or how you don't have it together. It is faith that works. And when you put your belief in Jesus Christ and you make him your Lord and Savior and you are saved by grace, the same grace that saved you is the grace that's going to empower you to now walk out a changed life. And that when people see you, you are the reflection of his glory. And as we obey, we begin to look more and more and more like him and re-represent well to a lost and dying world. And he ends by saying, faith without works is dead. It's like the body without the spirit. There's no life in it. Can I just tell you? You can go on living saved by grace, knowing you're going to heaven. Honest, you can. And you you can get to heaven, I hope. I know you can. But James says that that faith, that belief in Christ needs to be full of life and it needs to be lived out. And when you begin to live it out, you get get invigorated. Can I tell you this? My life, the book that I'm writing is going to be about life. James 10, or I'm sorry, John 10.10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it in the abundance. And I wonder what abundant life really looks like and why we aren't living it. Why we're letting the thief steal, kill, and destroy, rob us of our inheritance. Because you see, when we really begin to walk out the walk, when we begin to reflect his glory, the life that comes inside of us is unstoppable, unquenchable. And it'll change the world. But Lord, I don't know about you. I want to be a kingdom advancer. I want every moment of my life, to count. I want to reflect his glory because I promise you, Rhea is so ugly. Ask Dave. Rhea is ugly. The flesh profits nothing in my life. Trust me. Will you go out this week and be mindful that every person you interact with was created in the image of God. God sees them. He loves them with an everlasting eternal love. And you might be the only Bible they ever get to read. Represent and reflect well. I dare you to be drawn to somebody you really want it to avoid. Bring him next week. Let's take a world for the Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is indeed powerful and active. And I pray, Father, that anything that I said that was not from you would fall to the ground and die and be swept away, and only your word would remain. But I pray that that word, Lord, would stay with people, stay with me all week long. and that you would just continue to teach us and to speak to us about your truth. Your word says that we don't even need a teacher because your Holy Spirit lives within us. Will you continue to teach, Lord, as we walk through this week? Giving evidence to our faith, Lord. By the way we're living. Bless my brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, for a fresh infilling of your sweet Holy Spirit. You say, be ye filled. It's a continuous filling. And I pray for that right now, Lord. I heard you say to do that. And Father, I just want to pray from the top of their heads to the tips of their toes, Lord God, that you would just pour pour forth your spirit and power. Saturate their being, Lord, with more of you. Stir a passion and a hunger and a desire inside of them, Lord, inside of me. We want to know you better. We want to live you better, Lord, and I want to love you more. Would you bless them, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.